0: Humanitarian.
1: Adelina Kamal describes herself as a collaborative contrarian. I just think of her as a humanitarian. She is the executive director of the ASEAN Coordinating Center for Humanitarian Assistance on Disaster Management, or simply just the AHA Center, which is based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Adelina and I first met in 2008 during Cyclone Nargis in Myanmar, one of the operations that inspired the creation of the AHA Center. I found the conversation fascinating in se- in the sense that all of the challenges that Lena bring up are exactly the same that we struggle with at the global level, but the answers she brings to the table have a different flavor to them. And it is that complementarity that I think really makes the AHA Center uh, unique and an important part of the discussion in terms of where we are going as a sector and how we come to terms with the fact that one size fits nothing but that we need to have but that we need to have contextually adapted solutions for different settings we speak exclusively on natural disasters and the role of aha in this setting and as such we have chosen not to discuss some of the complex humanitarian crises which also are taking place in the region i hope you enjoy this conversation as much as i did Adelina Kamal, welcome to True Manitarian.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: You are the uh, Executive Director of the AHA Center. Now, what does that stand for? What is the AHA Center?
0: (laughs) AHA Center has a long name. Uh, It's a negotiated name. Um, AHA Center stands for the ASEAN Coordinating Center for Humanitarian Assistance on Disaster (laughs) Management. Um, But uh, if you must remember one thing, AHA can also stand for ASEAN Help ASEAN.
1: So it sounds a little bit to me like a ASEAN version of OCHA. Is that a good way to describe it?
0: Well, actually, it's a little bit of many things. Uh, It's not only uh, OCHA uh, element there. It's it's also WFP a bit. It's also Red Cross a bit. It's also Uh, some other UN agencies a bit. It's also the local uh, CSO. So we have uh, bits and pieces of uh, the current humanitarian uh, actors. Uh, But it's it's an intergovernmental organization. Uh, It's a regional, it's a specialized uh, regional center uh, set up by the 10 ASEAN countries uh, and focuses on basically strengthening the national capacities of the 10 ASEAN countries to respond collectively to disasters and also to collaborate with one another in reducing risk. As you know, ASEAN region is also known as the supermarket of disaster or the 7-Eleven of disaster. But that is something that we we, we want to change. Yeah it's, it's it's not a good thing to be remembered as the 7-Eleven and supermarket disaster. We want we want to be also known as the region that is uh, self-sufficient. And the countries that are uh, reliant on ourselves.
1: I, I love that 7-Eleven bit. Um, I'd never heard that before. <laughs> but but tell me, I, I I believe all of the ASEAN countries are also members of the UN, right? And and so, how come we need the AHA Center in addition to the entire UN setup on uh, on humanitarian affairs? What what's your value added? Um, well,
0: first of all. Um, AHA Center was established also out of necessity. Yeah, uh, we uh, AHA Center um, uh, was shaped by three catastrophic disasters uh, in the ASEAN region. You remember the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami that affected the Acehnias uh, of Indonesia and also uh, Malaysia, Myanmar, Thailand, right? There are four countries uh, in ASEAN and also the surrounding countries, and then. Um, Ahasanta was also shaped by the 2000 Sacronargis, our experience from Sacronargis we met there in Myanmar last the first time. Uh, Ahasanta was born uh, about two three years later in 2011 and then there was this another uh, major disaster Typhoon Haiyan in 2013. Ahasanta was just uh, two years old. You we were also kind of like shaped by this uh, uh, disaster in the Philippines. So so Ahasanta was uh, born out of necessity uh, because of the uh, catastrophic uh, uh, disasters and because uh, uh, the 10 ASEAN uh, countries felt that uh, it is time uh, for uh, them to, to do something you know, more concrete about uh, 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 helping one another. There was actually uh, this declaration uh, back then in 76, 1976. A- ASEAN was established in 1967, as old as my husband. <laughs> yeah, but there was this <laughs> declaration. Uh, there was this uh, declaration called the Declaration on uh, Mutual Assistance in Natural Disaster, dated seventy six, uh, and signed by the five founding fathers. Only two pages, right? So, so before the tsunami, uh, the ten ASEAN countries already had an idea of okay, uh, what are we going to do about this declaration? Only two page and signed only by the five founding fathers of ASEAN. Now we are ten. Okay, so so and at that time there was, of course, uh, no tsunami yet, but we had landslides we had uh, flooding, you know, we have uh, the so called medium scale disaster. And we wanted to uh, do more than this uh, two page declaration of intent, and we talk about Okay, well, I think we need to uh, see whether we can mobilize resources across borders to help one another, we have the search and rescue teams. And so on and so forth that that was actually the discussion before the indian ocean tsunami and and no one of course knew that the tsunami you know would happen nine months later in december 2004. so really a center was established out of the necessity i was in the uh, negotiation table so after the indian ocean tsunami uh, we further crystallized this uh, intention to uh, help one another to expand this uh, two-page declaration of intent into a regional treaty. Um, and then uh, we also kind of like decided, okay, it's not going to be only about response. It's also going to be about reducing risk. And then you know some countries uh, got this idea, okay, well, you know when we talk about a disaster as big as tsunami, we cannot just meet once in a while guys right and we're talking about the 10 national disaster management organization they at that time they met quite frequently but only like twice in a year uh, but uh, they 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 said that okay we cannot uh, we cannot uh, do the way we do things we need full timers we need a center okay so uh, uh Indonesia came up with the idea of a center ASEAN humanitarian agency ASEAN humanitarian center basically that's the original name and then the other countries uh, like the idea and then there you go then the idea of aha center came into this uh, negotiate uh, negotiated tax and and then uh, out of this regional treaty called the ASEAN agreement disaster management emergency uh, response then uh, which is our bible yeah when it comes to disaster management that is our bible the asian agreement on disaster management and emergency response so in that bible article 19 of the bible <laughs> i think article 19 uh, uh, a center the idea of aha center uh, was uh, created so really it was uh, born out of necessity because we were so afraid i was in that negotiating table we kind of like negotiated the agreement it was one of the you know fastest negotiated agreement in the region negotiated only four months after the indian ocean tsunami and you just imagine 10 countries negotiating uh, an agreement together and to be able to conclude that within four months is yes, amazing right but you know there, there's this one thing in our mind we we don't want another tsunami we're so afraid of another tsunami, so that therefore, you know, we were able to conclude the agreement within four months and and really, uh, you know, when people said, uh, okay, uh, uh, how AHA Center was born? Well, for sure, AHA Center was not born uh, out of, you know, out of the sky, <laughs> falling in uh, from the sky down to the earth, no. It was born out of the necessity because we are so afraid of another tsunami because we wanted to make sure that uh, we will be uh, more prepared when there is another catastrophic disaster enough is enough that's that's uh, yeah that's what uh, we said that's what the, the 10 ASEAN countries uh, and I was with the ASEAN SEGA at that time, of course ASEAN was not yet uh, born, but you know I'm, I'm one of those uh, people who had the Uh, privilege of witnessing how AHA Center was born and then somehow (laughs) then I got to lead the AHA Center as well in 2017 after I I, I left the ASEAN Center yeah so that's the story about AHA Center
1: so clearly it is the political will in the immediate aftermath of these terrible disasters that that means you can fast-track an intergovernmental process the way you describe it now what does
0: it's, it? It's a combination. It's a combination, Lars. It's a combination of political will as well as the operational uh, drive of the National Disaster Management Organization. Operational drive, why? Because uh, I thought you earlier, really right, that a few months before the tsunami, we already talked about mobilizing resources across border you know ha- uh, helping one another and so on and so forth and that political uh, operational drive came from the ndmos the 10 national disaster management organizations of the 10 asean countries right but it was combined also you're right with the political uh, will and that political will came from the asean leaders because when the tsunami happened in december uh 2004 they knew that the the disaster management uh, agencies of the 10 ASEAN countries already talk about uh, you know having this framework right and then the leader said okay do it but do it faster not one year but within just few months we want to have it done as soon as possible and not so long after the indian ocean tsunami we even had the special asean summit in jakarta 2 weeks after the tsunami and it was kind of like you know articulated in that Special ASEAN su- uh, Summit, Kofi Annan was there, you know, the, uh, uh, the leaders of the world uh, were there together with the ASEAN leaders and uh, the idea of establishing AHA Center and uh, operationalizing the, this uh, Bible of ASEAN, the ASEAN Agreement on Disaster Management, uh, were mentioned in that uh, Special ASEAN uh, 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 Tsunami Summit, yeah, so it's a, a combination. Of a political will and operational drive. And
1: now, describe for us the institution that comes out of this operational will to collaborate across borders, combined with with a, a political momentum. How many people are you? Do you come from all of the ASEAN countries? What do you do?
0: So we're ten years old. We were established in uh, November two thousand eleven. So. Uh, It took a while uh, to establish the center because um, it was born out of an agreement. Uh, And for the agreement, um, it requires uh, all the 10 ASEAN countries to basically uh, ratify the agreement. Uh, So uh, the agreement only got ratified in December 2009. So the process of establishing the AHA Center only started in 2010. So uh, only in 2011, uh, we got uh, established. Anyway, we're going to celebrate our 10 year uh, anniversary. Uh, This coming November is going to be a decade for for the AHA Center. Um, Right now we are about 50 people, so quite small, but I also do not uh, envision AHA Center to be a large organization because it's a coordinating center. And um, there is meaning to our name, right? Why it is uh, uh, name as the Coordinating Center and not uh, uh, an ASEAN Center because we are not uh, meant to replace the national government. We are a Coordinating Center. We are facilitating cooperation and coordination uh, among the 10 ASEAN countries. We are created by the ASEAN countries for ASEAN countries. So uh, if we are, if we become too big, then we will not be Agile and flexible and nimble. So I I think fifty is uh, quite a good number, and in fact, we have grown from just one person. That's the first uh, executive director of the AHA Center to thirteen, to about like uh, I think um, uh, twenty, and now uh, fifty. And uh, during my um, term with the AHA Center, the second part of uh, uh, the the decade, right because I, I became the uh, ED in 2017, we actually uh, tripled our size from 13 to uh, 50. Um, who is AHA Center? Um, as we are entering into, you know, this uh, decade, uh, uh, 10 years old, uh, uh, 10 years uh, of AHA Center, I often uh, reflect, who we are, what kind of animal <laughs> uh, we are, and I think we are this uh, contrarian animal. Yeah, uh, but it's not just a regular contrarian uh, uh, animal, right? Uh, okay, perhaps animal is not the the right uh, word, but we are a contrarian.
1: So, wh- I in, think in which sense are you a contrarian, and what is it you're reacting to?
0: Um. Well, we are contrarian because of uh because the reason why we were established one out of necessity right um, the three catastrophic disasters that I mentioned earlier the uh, first first of all the Indian ocean tsunami. It was the Indian Ocean tsunami that created another tsunami right and <laughs> we call it the tsunami of assistance, the second wave of tsunami and you know uh, in Indonesia in particular and also in other uh, countries. We don't want that to happen anymore, you know. Uh, uh, it's just uh, uh, too much, uh, and it's it's not easy, you know, to to receive assistance. It's, it's more difficult to receive assistance than to offer assistance. So uh, what happened was uh, during the Indian Ocean tsunami, Indonesia opened up uh, the gate, and you know everybody could come in. Uh, it was the second wave of tsunami, so so then um you know as part of the notion the lessons learned uh, we need we need it basically to strengthen our national resilience right we, we need it to manage ourselves so that <clears throat> we can manage the disasters next time it doesn't have to be uh you know uh, like that uh, anymore and and therefore we need to increase uh, our self uh, resilience the way i say it is a contrarian because uh, is is creating something, right? AHA Center itself is a contrarian because AHA Center create, uh, was created out of a necessity and that necessity was basically uh, 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 making sure that, uh, you know, we're not going to uh, experience that uh, second wave of tsunami. Cyclone Argus actually the one that made us even a stronger contrarian because Cyclone um, Argus in Myanmar in 2008, the the mainstream mainstream approach didn't work so um ASEAN actually had to apply the alternative approach because the mainstream approach didn't work the international humanitarian system tried right uh to basically apply uh the the normal system but it didn't work so then ASEAN came uh, uh and um and uh, basically introduced this idea of the ASEAN-LED uh, coordinating mechanism. That That's a contrarian. Uh, it's uh, I was kind of like shaking, shaking the or challenging the status quo because we were kind of like a new kid in the block, right? And then Typhoon Haiyan also another uh, disaster that make us uh, contrarian because uh, that was the time when uh, The global humanitarian system came in with the go big uh, regret regret later (laughs) approach, as if that the capital was not functioning, as if that the resources were not there in the country.
1: It's not bad if we bring a bit of spirituality into a humanitarian discussion. (laughs) So, so I think what what you have described so far for me is a complementarity that I can see work well in mega disasters because as you said, it's so overwhelming, you basically need whatever you can get your hands on. Now in 2018, these were more, they weren't small disasters, but they were not mega disasters. And so did that change the role and the division of labor between ASEAN and the international response community and the national government? Uh,
0: 2018, triple disasters. it's not only tsunami, uh, earthquake and tsunami, but also liquefaction that it affected the Central Sulawesi province of Indonesia. Uh, how many provinces in Indonesia? 34. So it's not even considered as a national disaster. And Central Sulawesi is a province in the island of Sulawesi. So it's a provincial level uh, disaster. But it, it actually reaches the uh, catastrophic level, according to our you know uh, statistic. Uh, uh so so therefore you know uh the people's attention uh, you know was geared towards uh, central sulawesi and it was really a unique year because in 2018 it was not only this central sulawesi triple disaster before that there was this uh, lombok earthquake right uh and then uh, uh typhoon mangkut in the philippines Floodings in the Mekong region and you know, some, some other uh, uh, disasters we were v- very busy. So you know, um, you imagine a country that experienced this uh, disaster one after another, and they just actually experienced a uh, Lombok earthquake. So although it was a provincial disaster, it was actually quite a lot, right for Indonesia. But then um, uh, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the Indonesian government, right, but I'm you know, interpreting what uh, happened. Uh, Indonesia decided that they welcome uh, international assistance, but then uh, they specified uh, 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 the kind of assistance that uh, uh, that, uh, they need from the international humanitarian community. Um, uh, If you ask me whether it changed, yes. Why? Because uh, uh, at that time, the Indonesian government, uh, unlike, you know, uh, the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami decided that they, you know, they welcome offer of assistance. They specified what you know they need, and then they also uh, decided that okay, if uh, uh, if you come as an uh, assistant, you need to find uh, local uh, players. Right, you cannot just come in with your search and rescue dog, you know, bringing drones and uh, everything. Uh, if you come, you channel your assistance through the local players, such as the Indonesian Red Cross. And then AHA Center uh, was tasked to help the uh, National Disaster Management Organization to manage offers of international assistance. Um, interestingly, um, uh, you know, uh, AHA Center, ASEAN, and uh, UN, in particular osha already came up with this interoperabil- interoperability playbook. So we also practice that uh, interoperability with the uh, UN in particular. We mobilize our ERAT. This is the version of uh, the ASEAN version of UNDAC, and then uh, and maybe
1: we should just explain that UNDAC ERAD. is the uh, United Nations Disaster yeah. Assessment and Coordination Team, yeah. and your version of that is called the ERAT.
0: ERAT, yeah? yeah, Emergency Response and Assessment Team. So, uh, ERAT uh, uh, was mobilized first uh, upon the acceptance of the Indonesian government. Um, actually, it was just a few hours after the disaster. They said, okay, uh, uh, we need uh, ERAT uh, to support uh, managing uh, offers of international assistance also on the ground. We need ERAT on the ground in the staging area. Uh, but we also need AHA Center to manage offers of assistance at the EOC Emergency Operations Center in Jakarta. So at the three le- levels, at the strategic, operational, and tactical level. Uh, but then, interestingly, Indonesian government decided, okay, it would be Erat that uh, uh, would take the lead and UNDAC would support Erat. And then it was uh, there was no OSOC, the on-site um, coordination uh, set up. Uh, of UNOCHA, OCHA. There was no OSSOC, uh, the Indonesian government uh, decided to set up uh, JOKIA, which is our version of OSOC the on-site coordinations uh, uh, set up uh, on the ground. But then they modified it, so they said, okay, rather than having OSOC and JOKIA of AHA Center separately, why don't we just combine it into one that is JOKIA, the Joint Operation and Coordination uh center, basically is the command post on the ground uh, whereby uh, Aha Center, together with our era from the ten Asian countries, would work together with the undac supporting the uh, Indonesian government at the national and local level. so so uh, the you know in short, what actually uh, uh, happened during that time was that national and local leadership strengthened enhanced by the regional mechanism strengthened by international community as and when necessary <laughs> that that's what happened so uh, it was kind of like uh, beautifully arranged somehow we were able to practice what uh, we wrote in the interoperability book uh, between uh, ASEAN AHA center and UN OCHA uh, but but I think it was also uh, the, uh, due to the fact that the government of Indonesia was pretty clear of what they wanted to get out of the regional player, and that is AHA Center, and out of the international mechanism, that is the uh, OCHA, UNDAC, you know, WFP, and the rest. And yeah, uh, that's what uh, happened. Quite interesting. Uh, 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 yeah, A quite interesting architecture.
1: Uh, Adelina, you have seen, you've seen many crises, you've seen many operations. Now, when you look at 2018 and with this architecture in place where you des- describe how first the national level uh, resources are used, supported by the AHA Center, and then further supported by the international UN system and the international uh, civil society, wh- what was the benefit of, of that setup? What did you do better operationally? Can you point to one or two things where you go, yeah, that really worked better because we did it in this way
0: Uh, we we did some kind of a research yeah and it was actually um, studying the the lines of uh, communication the first two weeks after the disaster we uh, we compare it uh, with the the lines of communication and the interaction during Typhoon Haiyan uh, and then two weeks after Typhoon Haiyan and two weeks after the 2018 uh, triple disaster in Central Sulawesi. You know, uh, uh, we actually published this uh, research. It was done by some of uh, my colleagues uh, together with the other researchers. It was quite interesting. Uh, I think uh, 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 that the uh, 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 scheme actually pictured that uh, for Central Sulawesi, uh, it was less chaotic. The coordination uh the coordination notes were clear it was really uh, uh clear for us to see where aha center uh where bnpb the national disaster management organization where the ministry of foreign affairs and where uno this these were the four uh, coordination notes uh that actually uh, kind of like uh, pictured right based on these communication lines and then these uh, lines were actually sick, showing that it was intense coordination, and then there were so many, uh, you know, offers of uh, assistance coming to uh, through AHA Center, and then you just imagine all of this coming direct to the government of Indonesia. It would be, it would be too much for them, and you know, for Indonesia, right, for the country affected by disaster, it was. It was, I mean, you just experienced Lombok earthquake, you know, you had to deal with the uh, uh, the the disaster in the country. And there are so many national and local stakeholders to deal with, it, it will be too much to manage this offer of assistance alone. So, you know, we, we, we became, okay, people said that we became the gatekeeper, but I think, no, we basically helped reduce the burden of the Indonesian government. Because as I said earlier, much more difficult to accept assistance rather than to offer assistance.
1: I think I hear two different stories. One is, oh, you know, then this Aha Center came in and they were the bottleneck and we couldn't get all the stuff we wanted to help with out there. Or you could have the other one saying, There's no way that they are just going to throw the second tsunami of help down here as they did in 2004. We want to know that what is being flown across the world actually is needed and required, and so there needs to be a process in place. It's squaring the circle between, on one side, having to move really quickly because needs are urgent. On the other hand, having to base those needs on a thorough assessment on what is actually required. And it's also about doing it in an orderly manner so that these, uh, this, this tsunami of, of uh, donations that we see come in especially in the, in the mega disasters doesn't become a problem in themselves.
0: I'm trying to like uh, explain it uh, but also understand it from the perspective of those you know who, who have this goodwill. It's it's, it's a goodwill right uh, coming from uh, those who want to help and I think we need to respect that uh, but I think uh we also need to recognize that we're talking about a country or region that has experienced world class disaster over the uh, past fifteen years, so there must be some national or local capacity in the country and for us in ASEAN, solidarity is important uh helping your neighbor is important that's the way Asian you know uh doing it. you cannot just uh, Ignore your uh, neighbor, especially if the neighbor is uh, in uh, trouble. But when you visit your neighbor, you need need to have manners as well, right? You know, you cannot uh, visit the patient at the hospital anytime you like. You have to actually follow the rules of the hospital. You cannot just bring all kinds of vegetable and fruit right to the patient. Uh, You need to also uh, follow, you know, what can be uh, given. That's exactly it, right? Yeah, so so we're kind of like uh, uh, creating the the more predictability right into the unpredictable and the chaotic uh, world.
1: But, But of course, here sitting in Geneva, surrounded by a lot of the international actors, there are some of them who would say something along the lines that, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And of course, it's important to have consensus with the government. But we also sometimes have governments who don't take care of all of their populations and there may be an internal conflict and and so if we always have to work through the government the way that you say then we won't be able to reach the most vulnerable. how how would you confront that it
0: depends it depends on the government if the government is uh, functioning right and you know uh, the government uh, has the capacity uh, and actually most of the governments in ASEAN do have that capacity and they actually have gone through uh uh, the worst in terms of uh, world-class disaster then you know uh, then you offer what is uh, needed Um, it will be a different case right if the government is uh, not functioning or there are some political problems within that government that that uh, it will have to be on a case-by-case basis but it cannot be generalized uh the point here is that you know respect uh, the sovereignty of the government respect and this is not only about you know uh, national government but also respect the capacity within the country. and I think uh, so far the global humanitarian system has been you know uh, a top down uh, vertical approach and I, I think we need to change that. It has to be uh, more of a horizontal it has to be more of a, yeah, uh, something like ASEAN helping ASEAN. You know, so it's it, it should not be we should not be given the impression that you know the global humanitarian system or the international humanitarian system because they already uh, exit uh, for long they are superior than us cannot be uh, right because um, you know it's just a, a, like a, a pyramid uh, the global humanitarian system uh, brings with them funding right brings with them a pool of uh, expertise, brings with them standards uh, uh, and systems and uh, these are all good these are very attractive uh, to us uh, who are still developing whose needs are greater than our resources but uh, you know um, those at the national and local level you know we we also uh, bring with us our uh, uh, advantages let me see the the pyramid that uh, that uh, I have in my notebook. So um, we understand the context better, right? We have the uh, ability to adapt and change, and we have this so-called acceptability and trust because we are closer to the ground. Uh, So so I think, you know, if uh, we understand what actually can be offered also by the national and local actors, I think it will work better. You know uh, because there are things that can be offered uh, by the global players but there are also things that uh, can be offered by regional national and uh, local actors
1: all right alina so you've you've very beautifully described how you see the setup for ASEAN, the complementarity that the aha center brings to uh, the picture and how that can be an intermediary between the international system and and national and local capabilities. Now, the question on my mind is, so we we have you as a person here, Adelina with all of your experience, your background, your history. What would happen if we took Adelina and plunked her into the international humanitarian system, into OCHA or a position in UNICEF or HCR or something? And what would happen to the complementarity that you're currently bringing to the system? Would it disappear? is it because of the institution you represent and the position you hold or is it the tradition you have and the culture and the experience you bring to the picture that makes the difference
0: okay um that's a very good question uh uh, lars so um whether i would continue to be this so-called contrarian whether i would continue to be the so-called collaborative contrarian right whether you know i would challenge uh change uh, in the system the way you know I, I have done it uh, from outside the system um, I think it first of all I think it would depend on where I'm going to be put if I'm in a position that actually could uh, in, enact change then perhaps the answer is yes it has to be in a very strategic uh, position otherwise it will be difficult to uh, to make a change. Uh, because the system itself is huge. And it's very difficult to uh, make a change from within unless you are at the top. And if you're talking about uh, drastic change, that's going to be a disruptive change. Normally, it will uh, never happen from within. It's normally driven by external factors. You, you have seen it. Disrupt, disruptive change, always the, driven by external factor. You know, uh, in Indonesia uh, we call it Gojek or like the Uber or like the Grab, right? Um, versus taxi, Bluebird taxi, or um, uh, Airbnb versus the hotel industry. Uh, rebellion versus the empire <laughs> that's uh, a star, star wars right so it's always externally driven process and it's going to be difficult to make a change if we are not in a strategic position if if i'm at the top the ceo the number one i think i will be able to make a change and i, I have seen it you know uh, in my country and others uh, but that also requires uh, uh, leadership. Yeah? Uh, it uh, requires guts to, to make a change because it's not easy to uh, make a change uh, uh, within the already established uh, and huge uh, uh, humanitarian system. I'm not saying that it's all bad, no. But uh, uh, I think it, it, it is time for us to change. And if we don't change now, then somebody will uh, do it for us. So if the human system doesn't change, it's going to be like us uh, riding fossil fuel vehicle 20 years from now, while others are already riding Tesla car, electric cars. It's going to be obsolete. And the, there will be this the alternative uh, uh, you know, approach. Uh, those that uh, challenge uh, uh, the status school, uh, and it's not going to be, you know, the current system uh, anymore. It's going to be someone else, because uh, the, the technology will will you know uh, will replace certain certain layers. There w- there won't be any uh, middlemen. Uh, I I heard that the uh, industrial rev revolution five point zero will make us to be uh, more. Customized, right? Personalized, so we can actually reach out to the beneficiaries or the population more directly, just like the cash right now. Uh, and that means that uh, in the future we're going to be able to talk to the population uh, uh, directly. Uh, then and that kind of like uh, would challenge the status quo because the technology will cut layers and the middlemen in between. And and that actually. And this uh, change, the alternative will be presented by the private, uh, the the individuals and and the companies, like the Bill Gates, you know, the foundation, the philanthropies, and they will basically take over uh, uh, the advantages that that the global humanitarian system uh, has, that is funding uh number one funding right uh, uh, according to the pyramid, and then also the uh, pool of uh, uh, expertise and the standards and the governance and the system uh, this corporates and the individuals and the philanthropists you know they're coming from companies so they're used to this uh, concept of efficiency uh, uh treating the customer as the king right uh uh, making it better every time, continuous uh, uh, improvement. And when uh, their funding gets bigger, then the humanitarian, the current humanitarian system will not be relevant anymore. So are we going to wait until that actually uh, happen, or are we going to do it now? So that that's why, and they're not going to discuss with us, you know, it's like uh, Tesla, uh, Elon Musk, uh, never discussed with Toyota and BMW and Mercedes, right? Uh, before he decided to make electric cars. Okay. So these people, uh, the philanthropists, the companies, the private news, they're not going to discuss this with us. Okay, how are we going to do it? And blah blah blah. No, they're just do doing it themselves, and then they will take over the humanitarian system, and then make us uh, irrelevant. Okay. Well, there is. So that's the alternative approach. Are we ready for that alternative approach? It's going to happen, and many have actually predicted that. There is this another approach, and I think some are uh, going towards this approach, and I call it the adjustment approach. The adjustment approach is, uh, part of the adjustment approach is the localization approach, right? Uh, uh, Basically uh, asking the humanitarian system to change, to adapt, from a vertical to horizontal approach, uh, asking uh, what actually the motive, right? Uh, uh, whether, uh, whether it's going to be uh, staying in in the country for 50 years or 10 years, it's adjustment. It's going to be a more of a, a slow uh, progress, it's a linear, right? But it's less destructive, but, uh, and it, nobody is going to lose. and I think uh, some actually are trying to adopt that right by promoting localization, strengthening uh, governments and I think we're you know uh, in that group as well the, uh, 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 that uh, kind of uh, adjustment approach. Uh, but the issue here is that there are less incentive there are no incentives. there are no incentive for people to actually adopt localization that's why, it never happened it will never happen perhaps
1: it's a really interesting way you just put it right so so what i hear you saying is on one side uh, we have a potential future scenario which is a, a disruption as we've seen in the tech sector with a more or less market-based approach which may be more efficient but will not be principled properly and you contrast that with a uh, localized, uh, collaborative, context-specific approach rather than a top-down, one-size-fits-nothing approach coming in from Geneva. I actually hadn't thought of, of those two futures as, as the two scenarios, but it's a really, really interesting way to think about it.
0: Yeah, so uh, I think that's going to be the future. The, the future is going to be uh, more inclusive, and I think... Uh, if you're not ready, then we, we have to be ready for this uh, new challenge. Uh, it's not going to be uh, only government. Uh, so regional organisations, intergovernmental regional organisations like our uh, Center also need to make sure that uh, we remain relevant right, in the next uh, uh, decade. Um, and, but it's not going to be government-dominated space anymore when we talk about uh, disaster management or humanitarian assistance. Uh, it's get, it's, it's, get uh, it's going to be more inclusive and uh, I think uh, I, I think uh, we also need to be uh, cr- critical to ourselves you know on our motive really uh, are we creating uh, reliance or, or resilience are we actually uh, employing trading mindset or humanitarian mindset Trading mindset, you know, you pay and then you deploy your uh, experts coming from the country who pay you. <laughs> that's mindset. That's creating a reliance or resilience. The thing is that I've been trying to, you know, um uh, think about it. What could be the incentive so people will adopt the adjustment approach? That it will be more uh, interesting for them uh, rather than the disruptive approach. I think that's something that we need to ponder
1: exactly and I think the answer to that a lot of the answer is in you cannot have power as centralized as it is right now you need to have uh, we have this model where you you have sort of you would call it a cradle to grave uh, operating model you get money from the donor you buy some stuff you hand it out and you come back and tell the donor what you did with it I think we need to break up that value chain and I think there needs to be a far more complex humanitarian ecosystem with checks and balances and 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 collaboration being created by very diverse actors and I think what's holding us back is a very rigid humanitarian architecture with large-scale bureaucracies that are too much alike
0: so so right now I would describe it as a vertical supply driven ego system not even ecosystem ego system (laughs) uh a ecosystem so we need to actually shift it to a more you know conducive uh, more uh, uh what do you call that yeah. yeah what you said diversified ecosystem
1: yeah so exactly so we, if we look at an ecosystem i think there's three things that are characterizing an ecosystem it's that it is diverse you have different species in it it is that it is connected you have uh, parasitic relationships, you have collaborative relationships, you have a food chain, and it is that it's evolving. And that's why it's a nice metaphor, because of those three things. Now if you evaluate the mainstream system against those criteria, it's not diverse. Because if you look at the incentive structure of the mainstream organization, that's pretty much the same for all of them. So you don't have an ecosystem, you have a herd of elephants. And they're great for some things, but not for everything. Secondly, it's not really connected because we don't need each other. You get money from the donor, you need the donor. And then you you control that money until it's spent and you report back to the donor. And it's about creating a connectedness where there's a need for collaboration with local actors. And that's where I think that inclusiveness you speak from is incredibly important. And that's why it's not really evolving because we're locked by this herd of elephants who get their share of the pie and then they spend that money.
0: Uh, Therefore, people or the world needs a collaborative contrarian like uh, like, uh, ASEAN. Uh, Many are skeptical about ASEAN, right? Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, many predicted ASEAN to fail. But uh, now we become the second largest, not second largest, second most successful regional organization in the world after the EU. Uh, And I think that's also due to the fact that uh, we apply this collaborative contrarian. So we, you know, we critically criticize ourselves and also criticize the the whole ecosystem. We we don't go with the mainstream and then just, you know, stop thinking, but we become innovative and, you know, find new ways of uh, 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 doing it. And it's okay. It's okay to be different from the mainstream if it is uh, for uh, something good. It's it's a challenge, the status quo, yes, but it uh, allows you to, to be more innovative, to actually to to be critical to, to ourselves. Uh, so so I think we need to have more of this uh, collaborative <laughs> contrarian, and I'm not saying, you know, because I want to praise ASEAN or, or ASEAN, but uh, uh, I think uh, it's, 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 it's really time for the system to be, challenge but in a positive way contrarian doesn't have to be negative it can be positive as long as you bring value to the table uh, uh you don't uh, basically you know you, you how, how can i uh, uh describe it let me see um we we kind of like emancipate you know ourselves we liberate ourselves without having to uh sideline uh the others that's collaboration but we don't always accept the norms uh posed on us because it may actually not be suitable uh, to our needs we have to copy paste and modify not only copy Pace, but also modify, modify to our context uh, and our uh, situation.
1: Adelina Kamal, thank you so much for coming on to Humanitarian and sharing your perspective. I'm acutely aware that you are in Jakarta, it's getting very late. And so I would like to thank you for, for the time. It's been a great discussion and thank you for all that you do with the AHA Center. And I look forward to hopefully meeting you soon again, either in an operation in Geneva or who knows in Jakarta.
0: Oh, thank you, Lars, so for having me. Um, is the month of Ramadan is uh, um, also a month of reflection, and as we, AHA Center is uh, entering, you know, a decade, I think it's also good to uh, have this conversation to reflect uh, where we are now. Uh, since the first time we met in two thousand eight in Myanmar after cyclone and Argy. so thank you for having me and thank you for this uh, conversation's about the rights and the freedom to be for people to choose their path and life and dream souls of men beyond what you see stages are different for each who will lead cycles of outsiders that get fat checks fly in fly out of places with slums and jets ask better questions pick apart educate and knowing one the
1: safe we're hit build building debate we are we are searching for more. Open up your mind beyond Richard Paul for the truth. You've been born humanitarian.